Welcome to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and week three of the NFL is in the books. And week three, much more toned down in terms of the fourth quarter dramatics and games coming down to the wire compared to the first two weeks of the season. However, we did see some surprising results. Underdogs winning some games outright. The Indianapolis Colts getting it done against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Jacksonville Jaguars getting it done against the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Miami Dolphins taking down the Buffalo Bills. A lot more teams this week win by margin. Something that we didn't see too much in weeks one and two. So with all that being said, our first game that we are going to talk about is Thursday night football between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. That takes us to our first game on Thursday night football between the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns win 29-17, a crooked scoreboard. But the Cleveland Browns, quite honestly, especially in that second half, because this game was, I believe, tied heading into halftime. But the Cleveland Browns dominate this game, absolutely running the ball down the Pittsburgh Steelers' throat. And this Pittsburgh Steelers defense was, you can tell, just a step slow than from what we've seen with this Steelers defense. But this Cleveland Browns run game with Nick Chubb and that Browns offensive line, like we said, just tired out the Steelers defense. And if you have no answer for this Browns run game, it's going to be a long day on the football field, no matter who you are. Browns win the time of possession 36-24. to and when the Browns run game gets going, it allows the passing game to do damage. Amari Cooper, back-to-back 100-yard games. He had a touchdown in this ball game. David Njoku finally reasserting himself in this offense. Remember last year, they had the Cleveland Browns were utilizing three tight ends with Austin Hooper, Njoku, and Harrison Bryant. So Njoku was very limited, especially with Austin Hooper getting a lot of the touches and receptions. So Najoku, he's tight end one as now they use Harrison Bryant as a blocking tight end for the most part. Najoku, 89 yards, one tight end. He had nine catches, which is to me the big vocal point in that stat because he is the clear number one tight end in the room. And he is a big time playmaker in this offense now. Switching gears to the Steelers offense, this offense is absolutely horrendous. And it all starts with offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. There's no creativity on this offense. They had four straight three and outs in this ballgame. That's not going to get it done. George Pickens, the rookie out of Georgia, made a fantastic catch that got Twitter buzzing because he made that OBJ one-handed. And after that play, it seemed like Canada and Trubisky never went back to them. So the lack, lack of targets around George Pickens for what he's been doing in what he did in training camp and at practices and just his extreme athleticism. How can you not target the guy? And there's just no place centered around him for him, which is just baffling to me. But this Steelers offense is absolutely terrible. Three offensive touchdowns in just three games so far this season. They haven't scored a first quarter touchdown since November of 2021 against the Lions. And for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the run game has been nowhere to be found. This was this run game was supposed to be the saving grace for this Steelers offense with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, which Jalen Warren is going to be a nice piece when they get their crap together on offense. 
because this dude is an absolute motor when he gets the ball. And Najee Harris, we've seen what we we've seen what he can do at Alabama and his in his rookie campaign, the damage that he did. But this is just an offense that is just absolutely sideways right now. And you gotta think that you just gotta that the Steelers just gotta throw Kenny Pickett in the fire at this point. They just need a change in scenery. And I don't even know if Matt Canada is going to survive the season because the offense is that bad. And especially with TJ Watt out there, for the amount of this is going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that is going to struggle and is going to have a hard time, especially if the offense continues to struggle, to continue to keep this team in ball games. So with that being said, I think if you're the Steelers, get a new change of scenery, get the fans back into this team, and just throw Kenny Pickett out there and see what you got with him. Because this Steelers team is clearly trending in the wrong direction. Alright, let's get into a game that was probably not on everybody's radar. And that is the Houston Texans at the Chicago Bears. Bears win a close one 23-20. And this was a game where the Chicago Bears were one-dimensional with their offense. And what I mean by that is the run game was completely firing on all cylinders. And the passing game was completely non-existent. We'll start with, let's start with the run game. They got their one-two punch on the ground with David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. David Montgomery exits with an injury, so it's the Khalil Herbert show for a large majority of this game, ground game. And we kind of saw glimpses of this in week two against the Green Bay Packers where the Chicago Bears were running the ball successfully against a good Green Bay Packers defense. And then they just abandoned it, went away from it, and they started passing the ball and what I think lost them the game because Justin Fields was just not connecting with his receivers. The Chicago Bears game plan was just to completely run the rock. Man, did they do so successfully over 280 yards on the ground in this ball game. But this Bears passing attack, it started to become problematic. Justin Fields in week three, how about eight completions and two interceptions? That's not going to get it done for you. Bears passing offense as a whole. 23 for 45, 297 yards, and only two touchdowns. We got issues if you're the Chicago Bears from a, a passing perspective side of things. Now, for the Houston Texans, they should have won this football game. Yeah, they got dominated on the ground like we just laid, laid it down for y'all. But this season, Davis Mills getting all of his receivers involved. Chris Moore, he led the team with 62 yards, but... It was a wide variety of his tight ends. Farrell Brown, Jordan Aikens had his first touchdown since 2020. There was a lot more of Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks. Just an overall solid performance from the for Houston Texans standards of just being productive. Now, this defense. This defense is legit, folks. I'm gonna tell you right now, the Houston Texans are not gonna they're not gonna be the most they're not gonna be a team that wins a lot of football games this year, but their defense created five sacks as a unit. Jalen Petrie, rookie out of Baylor. Not the first time you're going to hear this guy's name. He had two interceptions. He had a hell of a sack on Justin Fields. This guy is going to be a big-time player in that Texan secondary, along with Derek Stingley Jr. Just give him some time. This Texans pass defense has been great all year with what Lovey Smith likes to run in that Tampa 2 defense. So the Houston Texans are going to stay in games. This was a complete coin flip type game. Chicago Bears, they quite honestly won this game because Roquan Smith made one heck of a play late with one minute left in the game in which 
He basically just read Davis Mills' eyes and just went straight for the ball. Resulted in an interception, and then the, they were already in field goal range at that point. Fields and the offense take a couple knees, and Cairo Santos drills the game-winning field goal. So for both teams, Texans, you're going to be hanging around in a lot of games, and this is a good sight to see with your defense because it's actually playing really good three weeks into the season. And for the Chicago Bears, you got problems with your passing offense. I want to see more of that. But at the same time, your ground game is going so well. How can you not just just keep running the rock? Two teams that desperately needed a win going head-to-head. -head, the Vegas Raiders and the Tennessee Titans. Both teams starting out 0-2. And the Titans come out victorious in a nail-biter. 24-22. And the Titans, you know, it didn't look pretty for them. They almost blew the game in the fourth quarter because the Raiders were chasing for pretty much the entirety of this game. But Derrick Henry started to turn into his old self and what we've seen Derrick Henry do all those years in Tennessee. And that is doing damage on the ground. And when that happens, that leads to so many more opportunities in the passing game. Henry had 143 total yards. That's run and pass combined. Robert Woods finally gets involved. We stressed about this the past two weeks when we were talking about the Tennessee Titans and both of their losses. They need to get Robert Woods involved and they need to get that big play in with Robert Woods. They do four catches, 85 yards. Good sight to see if you're the Tennessee Titans because for them to simply not use their wide receiver one at all was just baffling to me. When they use him, when he's been, when they utilize him in this offense, they got a good chance to win football games and they did against the Raiders this week. On the Raiders side of things, this team's got problems. It's time to start hitting the panic button. You're 0-3. You got the worst record in the National Football League. Your secondary is a mess between Rock Yassine and Nate Hobbs, both at on the starting cornerback positions. Not to mention, both of, the, both of those guys got hurt against the Titans this past weekend. So you could potentially have backup corners in a division rivalry game. In addition, you also got Devontae Adams, completely ineffective in this offense. In week one, they were just force-feeding the ball. It didn't look natural at all between Carr and Adams. The offense wasn't flowing at all. In weeks two and three, simply not a factor. And it's not like he's getting double-teamed or anything. He's been open. I don't know if there's just not play centralized around him, which would just be stupid, but he's not getting involved in this offense. And especially with the Hunter Renfro injury, you'd think there'd be more opportunities for him but they just keep going and Matt Collins and Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs on the ground. It's like he's not even a part of this team, yet you're paying him $20 million a year. And you already know when, you already know the Raiders got problems when Josh McDaniels is having a closed-door meeting immediately after the game with Raiders owner Mark Davis to talk about all their struggles. And it's funny because there was all this hype going into the season with the Raiders and them bringing the new, the new head coach and the season that they had last year. And they bring in Devontae Adams and they're talking about that college connection between Carr and Adams and how good the chemistry was back in Fresno. But quite honestly, they should have just stuck with Rich Basaccia at the head coach. Just if I was Mark Davis, I'd say, you know what, just give, we'll give you a two year deal. We'll see how it goes. Let's see if you can replicate it for a full season and we'll throw a couple superstars along there along with it. Because it's been proven with Josh McDaniels. Sure, he's a good play caller. But it seems like he's losing the room right now in Vegas. When you hire a new head coach, there's always... Not only is there a different offense that's going to be installed. But there's also going to be a culture change. And Raider fans, and if you're an avid NFL fan, I think you'd know that 
Derek Carr and John Gruden had a really good relationship. And Rich Basaccia was a part of that John Gruden tree. He was already there as the special teams coordinator. But the offense just doesn't look natural. doesn't look stable with this new play calling that McDaniels has brought in. The Raiders, remember, we, they won all the close games last year. This year, they've lost all three games by a combined 13 points. So you got to start hitting the panic button for the Raiders. It's time to start winning some football games. You got a winnable game at home against the Denver Broncos. This weekend, it's a must-win for this team. All right, let's get into one of the more wackier games that occurred in Week 3 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts win 20-17 to in a nail-biter as well. But this was a game where the Kansas City Chiefs, this just wasn't their type of game. The product that they put on the football field this past weekend was just un-Kansas City Chief-like. Chiefs lost the game because of the errors that they made and within their special teams play. Sky Moore, he fumbled a punt return early in the football game. Matt Amendola, remember, Amendola's the backup kicker for Harrison Butker, so they got a second-string replacement kicker in, does the Chiefs. He misses a 42-yard field goal, and then the Chiefs decide to run a fake field goal late in the game, in the fourth quarter, and unsuccessful with Tommy Townsend, their punter, throwing an incomplete pass. So this was just a game with the Chiefs where they just didn't seem right for the entirety of the game. You know, usually we see the Chiefs, they're normally in control. When they're in control of these football games, they really are tough to stop. They just never established a rhythm this this whole game. And, you know, the Colts, this was a game that they needed to win. You had the embarrassment in Jacksonville. You tied to the Houston Texans. Now you're playing the Chiefs. It's your home opener. So I knew that the Colts were going to bring all the energy that they had in this game. I knew that they were going to bring it. Not that they put, not that they deserve to win. We're going to get into them. But it was just a sloppy game on both sides. And it ultimately came down to who made, the, who made less mistakes. And it was the Colts. But to me, the Colts won the game, but they didn't prove anything. Whatever. You scored most of the, your points, your 20 points, because of and their turnovers and all the mistakes that they made on special teams. Not to mention on that, on that final drive when they did score a touchdown and go the length of the field, they got bailed out by the refs on a very questionable unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And the Colts, they went one for they went one for three on fourth down. They failed to convert on fourth and inches. You know, there was a play where they just Matt Ryan handed the ball off to Jonathan Taylor and he just starts nosediving on a fourth and inches play, trying to get first down yardage. Can't get it. For the Indianapolis Colts, moving the football consistently is difficult for this team right now. Jonathan Taylor, the engine of this offense, is just a non-factor. Colts offensive line, everyone was gonna was ranting and raving heading heading into the season. Even me on how good it was gonna be. Five sacks allowed against Kansas City. So the Colts offense is just not operating on full cylinders. On the bright side, Alec Pierce finally has a productive game as a pro. He, okay, he didn't play against Jacksonville in Week One is his first NFL game against the Texans. Didn't do much. So, at least for this Colts offense, he's starting to establish a rhythm along with Michael Pittman. But it's this offensive line right now because if they don't get if they don't get things together up front, Jonathan Taylor, sure he's a good running back, but when the offensive line wins the battle in the trenches, he can really do damage. And for this Colts team, they always struggle early, but 
their whole offense just looks discombobulated right now. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, there's nothing to be worried about. This is probably going to be one of their worst games that they play. There was just so much going on. Mahomes is in, is getting into shouting matches with Eric Bieniemy, which to me is not a big deal. But this whole game for the Chiefs, it's just not the type of game that they play. And I'm expecting a, a bounce-back performance to play much better in Week 4 against the Buccaneers. Let's get into what probably was the game of the weekend on paper between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins win 21-19. to And this was a game... If you were to look at the box score and the stat sheet, completely misleading. Buffalo Bills absolutely dominated all the stats. It's honestly quite amazing on how much they dominated from a statistical standpoint. Bills ran 90 total plays to the Dolphins 39. Bills win the time of possession 40 to 20 in their favor and total yards 497 to 212 favoring the Bills. And this is a perfect example of why you played the game. And on any given Sunday, a team can win. So you're probably thinking, how did Miami, despite getting outplayed in pretty much all those categories, how did they win this game? And it was because the Bills possessed the ball for so long on some drives. They didn't come up with any points or they would just settle for field goals. And on the mistakes that the Bills did make, Miami Miami was able to get quick scores, capitalize with points by taking advantage of the Bills' miscues between a fumble here, a missed field goal there, and just taking advantage of the Buffalo Bills not playing their best brand of football. Now, now with that, home field advantage really mattered in this game and really helped out Miami big time here because they practice in the in this type of weather, in the humid. They're used to this. But you can just tell for the Buffalo Bills, it was just way too much. By the time the fourth quarter, fourth quarter rolled around, several players cramping up. Gallons of water was on the sidelines. And if you notice, the Bills just don't play their A game in these crappy weather games. Last year, they lost 9-0 to Jacksonville in a weird game when the Jags were terrible. They lost in a windstorm against New England last season. And they lose this past weekend to Miami in what was 90 degrees at kickoff. And I can only imagine with the humid, and if you're an athlete, you all know that that it is much hotter on the turf. So it's probably like triple digits. So by the four, by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, I can understand Josh Allen being so fatigued and this offense just being extremely exhausted. Josh Allen made a terrible throw on fourth and goal when they were down four points in the late stages of the game. So if you can catch Buffalo... In these crappy weather games, you have a chance to win a football game because you know you're not going to get their best effort. And it's been proven with Josh Allen and this offense. But credits to Miami. You're 3-0. You're rolling. Mike McDaniel, keep the train rolling. And for Buffalo, no worries on their end because this is a team that is still extremely talented. And another side note too, the Buffalo Bills had their entire secondary out and they still hung in this game. So that just tells you the amount of depth that they have in all positions. Let's go from an AFC East rivalry to an NFC North rivalry between the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings squeak one out, 28-24 to your final score. And this is a rivalry between the Vikings and the Lions that has always been close. These two teams split last season despite the Lions' struggles. Now in this game in particular, this was 
terrible kicking game on both sides. Late in the fourth quarter, you saw a lot more, especially on the Lions side of things, aggressive play calling because they just couldn't trust their kickers down the stretch. Austin Cyber and Greg the Lake Joseph both missed two field goals, and both teams in the fourth quarter, especially down the stretch, went for it on fourth down just because they didn't want to put the game on the line with their kickers. Now, inside the two-minute warning, outplayed the Lions' defense, and they proceeded to blow the game. However, this was a game for Detroit where they pretty much led from start to the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter. And this was a must-win for Minnesota after what happened in week two of Monday Night Football, in my opinion. And I really like the way that they won this game because Justin Jefferson was shut down and double-teamed by Jeff Okuda and a safety up top. Justin Jefferson was just held to three catches and 14 yards, so that allowed other playmakers in this Viking offense to step up. Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, Irv Smith, Alexander Madison in the ground game. And I needed to see a win like this from the Vikings because it proves that this team could win when their wide receiver one gets shut down. Because if this team, if they want any chance of doing big things under Kevin O'Connell, top-tier defenses are going to eliminate and take your best player out of the game in January in a playoff game. So to see Justin Jefferson get completely eliminated in this offense and have number two, number three wide receivers step up and make big plays and big moments is big for this Vikings team. Like we said, a much-needed win after Kirk Cousins' abysmal performance on Monday Night Football. And for the Lions side of things, offense looks great yet again. And their defense continuing to blow games as per usual. Let's talk about the shootout of the weekend between the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. Ravens win 37-26, a game that had no business of having this many points. But first and foremost, Lamar Jackson three weeks into the season is the MVP. 10 passing touchdowns. He's fourth in the league in rushing, and this dude is doing the most. Devin Duvernay and Mark Andrews. Now, no disrespect to those guys, because those guys are still solid receivers, but man, is he making them look good on a weekly basis. Because let's just be honest, these guys are probably like wide receiver twos for the most part, but beside, we know the lack of wide receiver depth that the Ravens have had over the years, especially with since Lamar Jackson has taken over at QB1. But he's making it work within this offense under John Harbaugh and Greg Roman. Now, switching gears on their defense, this is a Ravens secondary that is, I'm starting to have issues with. Because if the Patriots offense is carving you up, and they didn't even have their best receiver in Jacoby Myers, we got problems here. And we had an excuse for Miami. They had really good receivers that they could just, they can beat you over the top. But if the Patriots with Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar and their tight ends with Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, but the Ravens secondary, this they had Marlon Humphrey. They had Marcus Peters, their starting corners. They've had Marcus Williams. So this is a team that from a defensive standpoint is really performing under expectations. But if you're going to perform bad from defensively 
Much rather have it be at the start of the season than when you're competing for a championship in January. Lamar Jackson is all gas, no breaks right now. And the fact that this defense is playing as bad as it is and they're still winning football games is pretty crazy. Now, for the Patriots, things are just starting to get worse and worse by the week. Mac Jones, on the final play of the game, goes out with an injury. probably out for a couple weeks with, I think, is a high ankle sprain at this point. But a major blow for the Patriots, already offensively challenged. Now you're going to have Brian Hoyer, who dude hasn't won a game in probably half a decade plus. And behind him, you got rookie Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. So I don't know what to expect over the upcoming weeks for this Patriots offense because it could be a spark in the fire for for these quarterbacks that have been sitting cold turkey for the past weeks and for Hoyer's sake years. So very interesting to see the, the direction of the Patriots. And for the Baltimore Ravens, yeah, you're playing bad defensively, but offensively, they're off the charts. How about Josh Oliver? Special shout out to this guy. San Jose State alum scores his first career touchdown as a pro. Shout out Josh Oliver representing the San Jose State Spartans in the NFL. Good for him. He's been in the league for a couple of years now. Finally punches it in in the end zone for six. Let's transition into the matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets. And the Bengals win 27-12. And this was a total get-right game for the Bengals. Starting out 0-2, offense struggling, offensive line spending all the money, not getting, not living up to their dollar amount. This was a game where you can just let, make sure your offense performs the way you want it to against a New York Jets defense that is really not that great. Bengals offensive line, much improved in this game. Two sacks. And if you look at the first two games that they of the season for the Bengals, they were playing from behind in a large majority of those games. So I thought the key to this game for the Bengals was just to start out fast offensively. They did just that. 14 points in the first quarter, scoring an opening drive touchdown to start out the ball game. And how about others getting involved in this Cincinnati offense? We already know it's Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, but Tyler Boyd getting involved 105 yards, led all receivers for the Bengals. Good to see him back in there. And this is important, especially down the stretch, because Jamar Chase has turned into that big-time threat in this offense where he's going to get tons of pressure. He's going to eventually, if not already, getting double-teamed. Boyd is the X-factor in this offense, along with T. Higgins. And if one of those, if one or both of those guys go off on a week-to-week basis with all the pressure that Jamar Chase is getting, this offense is going to be tough to stop late in the year. Now, the difference in this game over the course of four quarters is that the Bengals were scoring touchdowns, Jets were settling for field goals. Also, the Jets had four turnovers with two interceptions, one fumble, and one one turnover on downs. That's not going to get it done for you in the National Football League. So, good game for the Bengals. Not so great for the Jets. You honestly can't play any worse. Didn't even hit the end zone in this ball game. But watch out for the New York Jets in the next couple weeks because Zach Wilson, their QB1, who they drafted number two overall in last year's draft, he's returning from injury in week four. So an offense to watch with their young receivers and and all just the young guys that they have on this team How does this offense perform with Wilson back under center? It's going to be interesting to watch. 
especially against a Pittsburgh Steelers team that who they play in week four, that is a really good... Let's talk about two teams in the NFC East division that are trending in opposite directions between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Commanders. Eagles win 24-8, and don't let this final score trick you because this was a game that was that was in the Eagles control from start to finish starting off with that Philadelphia Eagles defense nine sacks on Carson Wentz this Philadelphia Eagles defensive front is for real and at the same time that Washington commanders offensive line is really bad when you put those two things together Expect a real lackluster performance from the Commanders' offense, and that is exactly what we got. Those eight points, by the way, scored by the Commanders in the fourth quarter, scoring in garbage time with a touchdown run to Antonio Gibson. So not too much to talk about with the Commanders' offense and their performance in terms of lighting up the scoreboard. But on the Eagles' side of things, man, did they keep just proving week after week that this offense is Really explosive. Jalen Hurts, 340 passing yards with three passing touchdowns as well. This Philadelphia Eagles team, and they will go as far as Jalen Hurts takes them. He is right now one of the best deep ball throwers in the league three weeks into the season. It's a small sample size, but man, is he throwing a beautiful deep ball to dudes like Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, and solid intermediate throws. To people like Dallas Goddard and Zach Paschal. In this game in particular, Devontae Smith, 169 yards. Eagles scored all 24 of their points in the second quarter, which is good. But at the same time, it's also a worry because three weeks into the season, we've seen this trend with the Eagles that they put points up very quickly in a short amount of time. But over the course of four quarters, they can't. They can't play at that level. We saw in week one in Detroit, they had a massive lead and they almost blew the game. In week two against Minnesota, they did all their damage in the first half and just kind of treaded water in that second half. And week three against the Commanders, zero points in the second half. So there's not anything to worry about because they're still 3-0 and in winning football games. But when they do face that big-time opponent, can they light up the scoreboard for four quarters? Because when they play a very talented football team, they're going to need to do that. Let's talk about the most shocking result in week three, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Chargers, and the Jags win 38-10. to And with all the Justin Herbert questions coming into this game, I don't think we're surprised that the Jags necessarily won this game. It's the way how they won, and... And their margin of victory by 28 points on the road. Jacksonville hasn't been able to win on the road in years. And they come over to SoFi Stadium, which is not a home field advantage at all. And they come in and tear the Los Angeles Chargers up from start to finish. Let's get into this Jacksonville offense. Doug Peterson has these dudes playing some ball. We've talked about the Jags offense every single week and how it's just continuing to get better. And part of that is the emergence of Trevor Lawrence in his sophomore season. 262 passing yards for three touchdowns. But let's just throw all the numbers out of the window real quick. 
when they get into the red zone, the Jacksonville Jaguars, he makes some of the best throws in the entirety of the game. When there's when there's pressure in his face, he rolls to the right side of the pocket, makes something happen, throws an absolute dime to one of his skillful wide receivers, and all of a sudden, they're in the end zone for six. Jacksonville is getting the passing game going. In this game in particular, they got the run game going. James Robinson, 100 yards rushing on the ground. And this Jacksonville defense, you know, I thought the Jacksonville, I thought the Jags were going to be able to put up points because they spent a lot of money in this offense. But this defense, I am very surprised on their how they're performing. They got a bunch of young guys in this defense, and it's just a bunch of mishmash of players that are, but Andre Sisco, dude is making tremendous plays in man-to-man coverage as one of the Jacksonville defensive backs. And when you put that together with the pass rush that they're establishing on the defensive line and Trayvon Walker, their number one pick, it turns into a, a really good defense that has showed up for the first three weeks of the season. And I'm very impressed. As for this Chargers team, the story of this team right now is all the injuries that were that got piled up in this game. J.C. Jackson hurt again. Joey Bosa going to be out for a significant amount of time. Justin Herbert, of course, he's playing on the fractured ribs. Rashawn Slater, who I think is one of the best left tackles in the National Football League. Second year, second year lineman out of Northwestern. He does so much for that offensive line. And here's the thing about offensive linemen. They don't get talked about unless they're doing something bad. I just feel like I need to prove, make that point. Nobody watches line play in the NFL because of how fantasy football works these days. And all people care about is quarterbacks and receivers. Games are won in the trenches and how teams dominate and if teams could take over on the line of scrimmage. And Jacksonville won that this game. Not to mention, Chargers are dead last in rushing the football. Can't establish a run game at all, even with that offensive line. Austin Eckler has not been great the first three weeks of the season. In fact, they just completely abandoned the run in this game. That is a massive red flag for the Chargers. The Chargers are 1-2, and two, but man, forget about the loss. Long overcome these massive injuries from key positions and more importantly, cornerstone players that make an impact for this football team. Let's get into an NFC West matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Rams win this ball game 20-12 as the Arizona Cardinals in this game. All their points came on field goals from their kicker, Matt Prater. And as for the Rams, they scored 20 points. And even though they controlled this game, the Cardinals had plenty of chances to win this football game. And a large problem with this Arizona Cardinals right now, this Arizona Cardinals offense is that they just don't have the reinforcements to beat these good football teams. Hollywood Brown and Greg Dorch along with Zach Ertz is not going to get it done for you. Not to mention the run game has been non-existent with James Conner. Trust me, I have this guy on fantasy. I know exactly what this guy is doing right now and that is not being, and of course he's been dealing with injuries here and there, but the Arizona Cardinals offense Clearly not what it should be. Cardinals defense did play better in this game, but overall as a unit, not playing as good as we thought they would heading into the season. As for the Rams side of things, you do enough to survive, advance, and get the W in a big-time division matchup. Clearly somebody 
in the Rams organization has been listening to the podcast the past couple weeks because we were talking all about Ben Skoranek trying to get involved in this offense. And this guy was actually the leading receiver for the Rams. Four catches for 66 yards. Stafford hit an absolute bomb to Skoranek. And when I was watching this game, I just started to chuckle because, because we knew that the Rams were trying to get Skoranek involved. And it took a couple weeks for them to finally hit that big time play that they wanted to with Mr. Skoranek. And they finally get it done there. Tyler Higby has had back-to-back good weeks for this Rams passing attack. And Cooper Cup had a down game for his standards. 44 yards along with a rushing touchdown. And speaking of the rushing for the Rams, Cam Akers is getting a large majority of the carries now. So if you got Daryl Henderson on your fantasy lineup, you could just go ahead and drop him because it's officially the Cam Akers show once again in this Rams running back room for the Los Angeles Rams. You caught the Arizona Cardinals at a really good time. And I think a lot of their focus is going to be on their week four matchup between the San Francisco 49ers because they did beat them in that NFC championship matchup. However, McVay versus Kyle Shanahan, this is a big time matchup, a big time rivalry and a one-sided rivalry to say the least. Kyle Shanahan in the regular season has beat Sean McVay six times in a row. McVay's trying to avenge himself in week four. And I think what he was trying to do here in week three was just outplay, transitioning into a very intriguing matchup between the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks. Clearly two teams that are rebuilding their franchises, but based on what they have on the football field, a lot of playmakers that can make big time plays. And in a game that was actually very entertaining, Atlanta Falcons did win this one 27-23 in a very back-and-forth battle, especially in that first half. Teams exchanging touchdowns. Yeah, the defenses aren't too great on this team. But man, if you wanted offense, this was your game. I think if you had any fantasy players on the Falcons or the Seahawks, you had yourself a week, especially on that Falcons side. Cordero Patterson, 141 yards on the ground. Dude has been a monster ever since he came to Atlanta last year. And he's been doing it. And he's been doing it so well in, in, in the trenches. Kyle Pitts, all that talk last week and criticism on Arthur Smith about him not getting enough targets. Well, he had eight targets, led the team in targets, led the team in yards. Kyle Pitts, their superstar tight end, is back and better with the big time game. Drake London. Had a solid week, had his first touchdown in LA, goes up to the Pacific Northwest and tallies himself another touchdown. But this was a game that was back and forth, close all the way to the finish. And it was going to come down into the fourth quarter as most Atlanta Falcon games do. And it came down to who's going to get that fourth quarter stop. And believe it or not, it was the Atlanta Falcons defense that stopped the that forced a Geno Smith interception. Michael Walker with the interception to cap off the game on what could have been a Geno Smith game-winning drive in front of the rowdy and rambunctious Lumen Field crowd. And if you're the Atlanta Falcons, not only is it a big-time game and big-time win with Marcus Mariota as your starting quarterback, but this is this was big for this defense and big for the organization. After everything they've been through, ever since they lost that Super Bowl and they were blowing games in the fourth quarter, for them to finally 
say that they didn't blow this game and that the defense actually got them a W down the stretch late in the football game when it mattered most, when they needed a stop and a takeaway, they got it. That's big, and I think that's going to make this Falcons football team better and over the course of the season improve and gain some confidence because this is a Falcons team. They're one and two, but they've been in every single football game so far to the season. These are just, they might not be the greatest team, but man, is this game, is this team competing at a high level? And that's what you want from a young team like the Falcons. Let's get into the ugliest game of the weekend between the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Green Bay wins 14 to 12. And when you look at this matchup and you see the quarterbacks between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, you wouldn't think that this is such a low-scoring affair between two very talented quarterbacks and eventual Hall of Famers. But when you get two teams in the Packers and the Buccaneers that are dealing with injuries across the board, struggling to get the offense going, and both defenses in taking control of football games to start off the season, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get in a low-scoring slugfest with bad offense and two teams that are not going to be able to run the ball on one another, are going to have a hard time beating each other over the top. Now, the neither of these offenses were pretty. This was on a, this was a very bad watch and this was probably if you watch this game from start to finish, probably the longest 3 hours that most people have had on an NFL Sunday because people would most likely expect fireworks from these two quarterbacks, but that did not happen. Romeo Dobbs, we talked about Dobbs as one of these young receivers that he was going to be the guy to step up before the season started, by the way. And he's clearly been that, out of the young receivers, the go-to guy for Rodgers, which has been a good sight to see for the Packers offense. And for Tampa Bay, you know, Tom Brady, he's just so good at his age and what he does that he can work with any wide receiver that he wants. With Mike Evans being suspended because of the Saints brawl, Chris Godwin not being available, Julio Jones not being available. Just the fact that he has second, third, and fourth string wide receivers all of a sudden becoming starters and to keep his team in this football game all the way down to the final play is just amazing and it just showcases how good Tom Brady really is. Because let's just be honest, if you throw any other quarterback out there and you got Russell Gage, Cameron Brait, and Brashad Perryman catching the football, this game is probably not even close. But that's just how good Tom Brady is. He keeps you in football games under any circumstance. And Green Bay, simply, when it when it was all said and done over the course of 60 minutes, just made more plays. Not a lot of plays, but enough to win this football game and escape Tampa Bay with a W in their back pocket. And the Broncos win 11-10 to in a very low-scoring, ugly game from start to finish. This was a game that where both teams were offensively challenged and defensively, these both of these teams really dominated the line of scrimmage from start to finish. Niners defense, Broncos defense, absolutely great. And this, is, this was just one of those games where both teams were offensively struggling and offensively challenged where the punters had a significant impact on this game. Mitch Wisnowski, Corliss Waitman, 17 punts, 
combined between both of these teams. That's how ugly this one was in the Mile High City. And because of the altitude and the ball flying in Denver, you get the punters look great and you get these both of these teams working deep in their own territory. And when the defenses are this great, you're going to get a low-scoring slugfest like we did here on Sunday night. For the 49ers, clearly not a good game. Garoppolo didn't have a good game. Shanahan didn't have a good game calling plays. And the run game, non-existent. Part of that, a large part of that was the Broncos front, which is really good. But we all know, especially to the 49er fans, they know when this run game is nowhere to be found, Jimmy Garoppolo has to make plays. They have to get more creative. They have to drop back with Jimmy a lot more than what they're than what they're used to. Garoppolo, he had the interception, which really wasn't his fault. Jeff Wilson had the fumble late in the fourth quarter where the Niners should have taken advantage and they were moving the ball quite well in that fourth quarter when it came down to the wire. Yeah, the safety was frustrating, but I didn't really like Shanahan's play call there. Didn't give him a lot of wiggle room to work with. I think the most frustrating play in this game was Garoppolo's throw to Debo Samuel because if he throws that more outside to where to where Samuel was, he's gone for an 85-yard touchdown. You notice Garopp you notice Samuel had to work the sidelines a little bit, didn't catch it cleanly and that loud that allowed Patrick Sertan to really close in on the tackle. So just miscues all around for the 49ers offensively. And let's just be honest, the Denver Broncos offensively, when it came down to it, despite all their struggles that they've had with Nate Hackett and Russell Wilson, they had that vintage Russell Wilson drive that everybody in Denver's been looking for. He made plays on his feet. He had this wild chest pass throw for a first down in a crucial moment. And then, of course, they get Melvin Gordon in the end zone, in which dramatically changed the game between the safety, the touchdown drive by Russell Wilson. Niners had the opportunity, but ultimately couldn't cash in. Tough loss for the Niners, big win for the Broncos, and just overall, our last game on the Week 3 slate is the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants playing on Monday Night Football, and the Cowboys win 23-16 in what was a very tight matchup for a large majority of this game. Cooper Rush under center once again for the Dallas Cowboys, and he played another terrific game between C.D. Lamb, Noah Brown on the receiving end, and Tony Pollard really dominating on the ground game over 100 yards on the ground. This was just a collective for the Dallas Cowboys. Defensively, man, did they shut down this New York Giants. Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence causing all kinds of havoc on the line of scrimmage, creating five sacks as a defensive unit on Daniel Jones. And for this New York Giants team, it was just a really tough matchup against their division rival. Yeah, you had the home crowd in the Meadowlands on fire, but this is but let's just be honest. This is a team in the New York Giants. Yeah, there's some it's good that there's some confidence within the organization, but they beat the Titans on the road and they beat the Panthers at home in very tight ball games, both of those. It was just too much for this New York Giants offense as a whole to just overcome all the pressure that this Dallas Cowboys pass rush was creating. Saquon, Bar Saquon Barkley had a terrific game on the ground and was keeping this New York Giants team 
in this football game late, but this was just a game where the Dallas Cowboys did their thing on both sides of the ball, and C.D. Lamb had a slow start in weeks one and two. I think this was a really good step in the right direction for Lamb, especially since Michael Gallup is so just one more weapon for this Cowboys receiving group. And I have to say, really impressed in what the Dallas Cowboys are doing, not only with this defense, but with Cooper Rush. But if you're the New York Giants, just a tough matchup against your division rival. And for this team going forward, I think you're going to see Saquon Barkley continue to dominate. And for this wide receiver room, I'm interested to see who takes over that number one receiver role because Sterling Shepard had a significant non-contact injury very late in this football game that is going to be a season-ending injury for Shepard. So I'm interested to see going forward outside of Saquon Barkley, specifically in this Giants passing attack, who's going to be that guy that steps up as that wide receiver one. We've seen glimpses of Richie James being that guy, but who's going to be that receiver that gets a large majority of these targets because this is a wide receiver room with the New York Giants that is mediocre at best. And I think going forward, because of that, you're going to see a lot more with Saquon Barkley in the with this Giants offense. So that is going to do it for our week three breakdown in the NFL. As it stands right now, we have two undefeated teams in the Miami Dolphins and the Philadelphia Eagles, both 3-0. and And as for the winless teams, we have the lonesome Las Vegas Raiders, the only team in the National Football League that is 0-3. Very interested to see, do these teams extend their winning slash losing streaks in Week 4? And also, we have our, we have our first international game on Sunday being played in London between the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. So that is an intriguing matchup there. Of course, we will be back after week four concludes to break down the in- entirety of the board. Outside of that, I want to thank all of our listeners, as always, for tuning in to the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.